Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Globalize Asian. Today's guest is Pooja Poddar, who talks about her journey of successful IVF procedure and eventually becoming a proud mother. IVF procedures are becoming more and more common in and around our lives and bringing hope to many families of having an offspring in their lives. Let's hear it on Pooja's own experiences along with some stigmas and side effects associated with the topic. journey here to see us it's it's uh, it's going to be a very good episode and we are very excited about this today so firstly let's start with your motivation to enter the nursing profession what made you dive into it um, hello you two by um, till I was in my 10th standard I always wanted to be a teacher always grew up thinking I'm gonna be a teacher so um, all the street kids, all the friends, neighbour, I used to be the teacher, get them to be the student. On Teacher's Day, as we know in India, the kids from 10, year 10, they be the teacher for the whole school for that day. That day was a disaster for me and a lesson that I've learned for my life. I can't be a good teacher. I haven't got any patience. But then what I um, progressed on to be later on is like completely opposite. Um, we... As I was growing, thinking I'm going to be a teacher, we had a nurse in the family. So I, I quite liked that comfort uh, because like anything going wrong in the family, we were like, yes, we can go to Shalumasi and she will look into it and we'll, we'll be sorted. Hospital, if we have to go to the outpatients, then um, you get this privilege um, in, in India. Uh, that if you know someone, you can be just rush the queue and because you know so-and-so, it's not a bad thing, but that's how it was. So that, that was on back of my mind. So by the time I was doing my uh, 12th standard, um, I didn't have any thoughts what I wanted to do. But somewhere around the line, as it was the nurse, I was like, um, my daddy had worked all, uh, abroad all his life and many of my uncles have been working abroad. So I was like, right, teachers, teachers out of the window. So let's be, uh, let's do something that I can work abroad. So for me, overseas didn't meant that I'll be coming to England. It was like just around Middle East, wherever I have seen my family go in. So um, what part of India do you come from? Mumbai. Mumbai, right. Yeah. So uh, after my 12th standard, when you've got this eight weeks period to decide if you're going to go for your degree or um, you want to take a career and do the training, I went for the air hostess job because I was very good at doing the announcement. So every time my dad used to come, I used to like do the airport announcement, daddy's coming and blah, blah, blah. So I thought like, oh, I'm good at that. So let's become an air hostess. So we had some, some sort of friends working towards Lufthansa. Um, air hostess training so they they said all right Pooja we will we, we'll get you there and um, okay so as we were planning for that my husband now he was a family friend at that time he's like well why don't you become a nurse and I was like "Ooh, that sounds interesting um, and I was like well, why do you uh, want me to be a nurse and he's like well my sister is a nurse I didn't know that Oh, so um, I was like, all right, I'll go and see her and ask her that does she get time to go and look around and visit different cities and um, enjoy their culture and things like that. 
So he's like, yeah, she's uh, she's she was working in Saudi and she was on her um, six six weeks leave at that time. So went and saw her and spoke to her, and it was very positive. So I was like, that's it, I'm becoming a nurse. So um, my um, uh, Raj then helped me to um, get an admission, and there it goes. That's what that's my in the nursing school in Mumbai. In Mumbai, right. KM school. King Edward Seven Memorial General School. And General you worked School. in India as a nurse for a few years? I did, mm-hmm. I did. After I finished my training, I worked in a hospital and um, for, uh, for a year and a half. Then I got married and we moved around to a different city. So I worked in a, another um, A&E there. Okay, and how did UK happen then? Um, UK happened because as my sister-in-law at that time, who had come from her leave from Sandy, um, she, we, I was still in relationship with my husband at that time, and um, she, she dropped, she left her job uh, because she wanted to just come and settle back in Mumbai because she'd been um, in Sandy for ten years, ten or twelve years, so. Um, she was then trying, as I said, that like my dad's been working abroad and then our family friend Raj, he was working abroad, his sister was working abroad. Um, so when she came, when she came back from Saudi, um, she was like looking for a job somewhere. So then she got, um, she was doing a, a temporary post somewhere in, in a local Bombay hospital. And then she got a job in UK. So, um, as I said, then we got married and she was here already. Okay, so, so you kind of that's followed That's how, and yeah. And that was like, when, the year she came over, he, uh, over to UK, my husband was um, working in Merchant Navy and his ship crashed in uh, France. Oh. And they, so I was like really um, heartbroken that mm-hmm. I didn't want it to lose him. So it was like, we don't want him to go abroad anymore. But because of his qualification, he could only work in Navy. So otherwise, what will he do? So I was like, well, I'm a nurse, that comes handy. So I can go and join my sister-in-law and be a bit of help to her. And um, maybe he can come and join us. So for him, he'll still keep his, um, he'll still keep his... Professional his, life. But yeah. Then there will um, be some support yeah, around him. Yeah. And was a good opportunity for you to come and work in the nursing. So what, what year was that, Pooja? That was in 2002. Okay, so things have clearly changed since 2002. And how long have you been with the NHS now? I joined the NHS in 2004. Okay, good. March. So good 13, 13 or years. Yeah. So, you know, the, uh, the one thing that with the recent elections, there was a big a topic on everybody's agenda was NHS cuts mm-hmm. and you know everybody all the parties from Labour to Conservative to Lipton etc they all were talking about how they're going to concentrate on NHS how they're going to bring so much money into NHS but from an insider's point of view how how do you think those points of NHS cuts actually you know on the ground level do you feel that it's 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 that bad in NHS? There are goods and bads in every profession. Then from the nursing point of view, you see that there will be certain trainings that is important, but not essential at the same time. You can put it on hold. 
So things like that, if you want to do something straight away, like if I turn up today saying, oh, I want to go for my master's, but that's, that's my opinion. Yeah. That's, my, um, that's what I think, that okay. I want to do this now. But there might not be funding. Priority for the Yeah, industry. and that's not the priority for my department. Sure. But how does that impact on, on, let's say, nurses coming from abroad? Because they do require a certain level of training. And if the training gets it's, taken away... It's slightly different for the nurses coming okay. from abroad. Because for them to keep practicing, whoever they come with, whether they, they get a work permit from a nursing home or NHS, has to provide them with the adaptation training. Uh, because without that, they can't be working on their their um, their degree, whichever they have obtained from back home. So let's take this a step further then. So would that also mean that there will be uh, some impact or a major impact on the influx of nurses from, from let's say, India or uh, other Asian countries? Because I think if there are cuts across the board and with the Brexit now, there's quite a few dynamics into the mix. So how, how do you think that's going to play in the long term? Is it going to be more focused training for local nurses here, more European nurses coming in, or you don't think the overall dynamics would, would change that much? There has been some something or the other over the years going on for the nurses anyway, whether it was Brexit issue or uh, a work permit issue or this ILTS, which is uh, which has been which wasn't at that time which is, when which we is an were, English language requirement. Yes, the English requirement, which like when when I came in, there that wasn't that wasn't necessary as a part of registration, which it is now. So there has been some certain things uh, that's been going on for over the years. So whether there will be more nurses from whichever country, whether from Europe or Southeast Asia, it's, it's just a matter of like just wait and see. Mm-hmm. We can't really predict anything because now, because of the elections and Brexit is a hot topic, in six months' time there might be something else. We don't know. Right. So it's it's so I think you, according to you, it has been a constantly evolving dynamic for the nurses, and it's just a case of when things stabilize, when there is a formal budget announced for the NHS, mm-hmm. then they might be able to allocate something for the nurses. Um, interesting. But for on on that one, I would say with the pay thing as well, which is always on media about the nurses' pay, it's. The, the, the coming generation, when they are listening to that, it's how many people are going to go for becoming a nurse. Mm. So that leaves the gateway open for either Europe or Asia, which is never going to stop. Yeah. Because um, the, the pay, like, eventually people work for the pay. Mm. And if they are working for, um, it's just the, uh, whatever we get in numbers is, is the people's dedication to the profession. Yes. And it is a, it is a profession that requires a lot of yeah. dedication. Yeah. Uh, so let's, let's come, come to a very um, personal topic of yours, which mm. um, IVF, it's, uh, it's spoken a lot about in, in everybody's life now. People know either somebody in their family going through that treatment but you yourself has gone through um, an IVF treatment in the past. Um, let's tell us more about that, just to you know create a bit of more awareness among our listeners. Yeah. Well, I I got married in nineteen ninety six, and um, 
my husband was at times 15 years older than me well he still is uh, but um, so it was like and because we didn't have any quality time together obviously him working overseas and um, me still trying to complete my nursing um, degree we didn't get enough time so I think the time when uh, my husband came back after his ship had crashed in um, in France now, we did have some time together to realize that yes there is a medical issue um, that I can't conceive so uh, we've been having treatment um, in India and that was another reason why I was I was making my mind up that I need some treatment so let's go to UK because sister Gayatri is already there so uh, she can help us we've had enough tra treatment in India and it didn't work um, it's because I was in a well well sort of uh, supported family it does it didn't really bother me but then at the same time I used to think about um, that my 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 in-laws are getting elderly and they haven't seen any grandchild. Um, my dad, thinking about my parents and my grandma was alive at that time. And um, so oh, it's, it, there wasn't any family pressure, but me, myself, um, used to feel very stigmatized, sort of this, like, oh, it's all my fault. There's nothing wrong with my husband and I need treatment. We've done this. He can't go on sort of like, you know, working and putting all his money in my treatment because it is expensive. Um, so it's... So you, you decided to go ahead with the treatment because you thought you wanted it and it was less of a family pressure in your case. Um, what would you like to probably point out in cases where there is a family expectation and individuals cannot conceive? Yeah, it's... it's uh, I think this is something that should be done free in India. Because um, if you haven't got family pressure and you can afford it, yes, you go for it. But then there are loads of families like who couldn't afford it. And for if I put myself to a woman who can't afford any treatment, every minute of her life is a misery. Because there is an eye looking at you saying, hey, hey you haven't got a child. Because that's... Um, that's this is something like an ABC. You are you are grown up. You got married. You need a child. So whether you have bank balance, whether you have a profession, whether you have a house to live or not, doesn't matter. You are married. You need a child. So whether people tell you or not, you this is something on back of everyone's mind. You can't like you can't face the face any sort of social gathering, because our custom has got that. Um, it's a taboo. It's a yeah, taboo. it is. And people like, you know, there are certain things that you could only do if you are a married woman and have a child. Mm. And you can't, you can't do this, you can't do that. So, so, uh, so IVF treatment is then, is then available for free at the NHS? No, it, it wasn't. Okay. Uh, when we came over, I, that was another reason why I wanted to come over to have some treatment and like, because I'm a nurse, I can sort of support uh, my own treatment. I can work and put towards it, which we did at the beginning. By, um, and we had like lots of treatment from 2000 and, uh, 2002 till about 2006, when my father-in-law was very poorly. And I thought like, um, well, I, I really loved him. He was 
like my dad, I still miss him. But um, I wanted to do, do get get things sort of going and thought like, all right, so 2006, we're going to have an IVF. We, we saved some money and um, uh, paid, paid um, IVF in private. And we had, which didn't work. Um, then we lost him in 2008. So uh, then it was like, well, if it happens, it happens. Because by that time, that's another thing, which like in India, which I I don't know whether it, it had made me more westernized in that version that in India you can't face a social gathering if you haven't got a child, whereas here no one is bothered about you. It's like no one is interfering in your personal life. Yes, but I think that could yeah. also be masked with the fact that there are a lot of families here, I, I probably can't generalize, but there are families here who may just decide consciously not to have a child, regardless of the yeah. fact that Exactly. So you, so people are not worried about you. Yeah. Yeah. No one is going to look at you with the sort of like, oh, that woman hasn't got child. Yeah, it's a cultural difference, isn't it? Yeah. As you said, you grew up in an environment where things are expected in a chain reaction, so to speak. You do this, you do that, and then next is you know logical step is after marriage, is to have a have a child. Yeah. And if you don't get a child in a couple of years' time, then question starts, you know, yeah. raising whether you they raise direct to you or yeah. behind your back, but it's mm. it's the nature of our society and I guess generations and awareness would probably change that with time. Um, yeah, so coming back to your point on whether people don't are not bothered here, I think that's probably because you you know People are more educated in that sense, are more aware of that mm. sense and also a bit, um, you know, sensitive towards that topic and appreciative that this is something beyond anybody's control. Mm. Uh, you know, it's not something you should blame it on an individual, but it is a science end of the day, which sometimes doesn't work as you planned. Talking of science, I think, you know, he picked up the point uh, where it might not work. You've, you've had an unsuccessful uh, IVF, but then... Eventually, it worked for you. It did, so and that was on NHS. <laughs> wow, that was on NHS because um, that that year, the year, I don't know what made me think in that year. Yes, I was working, and I saw a leaflet because certain things are because what we were talking earlier that here people are people don't want to offend you by asking you because it might be a choice that we've made, we don't want a child. It's not very popular topic. I was working one evening and I saw our uh, local um, Inside magazine and uh, there was a story of a miracle baby and I was like, oh, I must read that miracle baby. And um, whatever, the, I read the whole story and at the end it was written like, um, thank you for, and it was like the hospital where I work. And I was like, oh, so same, same, I, same evening, I rang my GP and I was like, I've, I've read this information, can you check if I can apply for it? And she was like, oh, Pooja, um, I think you can. Because, um, yeah, you've got this, uh, you fit in that criteria, you've got a history of infertility for so long, and you've never been on any shares that you... So well, she, gone, she went through all that. There is a pre-specified criteria then. To yeah, oh, there is, yeah, there is, yeah. And um, it, it isn't just that, it is um, because 
I know when I went for um, an eye tried in 2006 on my second uh, second trial, they um, my family friends who knew that I was going through this treatment, they did say, oh, why don't you move to a certain area? They do it for free mm-hmm. because uh, so-and-so has done it. And so why, why, why aren't you doing that? But then you have to move to a different city. So for Bristol at that time, it was like only just allowed. Right. So, so then I was free on NHS without paying if you fit within that criteria. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. And but so just, just out of curiosity, how much would an IVF treatment cost these days? To us at that time, um, it had cost, we had paid 5,000, uh, more than 5,000 cash upfront. And how long is the duration of the, the duration treatment? The duration is like it starts from, um, it, it, the cycle, uh, d- they have to get you prepared for the procedure. So um, I think it's about six weeks it right. takes. So you start doing your injections to stimulate your ovaries. So, but your payment starts from that day right. because you, you pay for your consulting, you pay for your injections. I, what I found was like more than the consulting fees, it was the medicines that were expensive. Yes. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it is about six to eight weeks. And I've also heard that there's a hormonal changes that happens to um, a woman's body at the time of the treatment. Yeah. How hard is that? It's very hard. It's very hard because you like for me because I had like I had infertility because I had polycystic ovaries. So for me, it has like one minute I'll be bubbly and the other minute I'll be depressed, saying like I've got a child. Um, so that that kind of hormonal impact you have, you and it's some 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 days it'll be like you know people can talk uh, people can tell you off for anything mm-hmm. and you'll be like oh it's it's just them it's not me, but the other day you might take it like why just me. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very it's very sensitive, very very sensitive, and I think uh, because of all these years of treatment, how it ha- it had like really impacted my body in a very very sensitive way, because mm-hmm. um, I had um, I had cancer two years ago, in 2015, so I had to have hysterectomy because and at time I was only 38, so that means that I am I have gone into menopause overnight. So that hormonal balance, till today, I'm suffering. Um, I'm still not settling on an HRT. So it's, it does, the hormone is a very nasty thing. Yeah. So it's important to know for anybody who's going to make an informed decision into getting into IVF that they have to be prepared for setbacks. They have yeah. to be prepared yeah. for hurdles. Yeah. And of course, those are choices and those are, those are side effects or, or hurdles that your doctor or you know, your nurse will make you aware of. But I think you mentioned a nursing profession being of age to you and taking this decision. But I think it's it's probably fair to ask that did it also help you understand the whole process a little bit better vis-a-vis somebody who is not from the medical profession and how they would approach it? Yeah, it did. Because I knew what to expect. Yeah. But and knowing that fact, it makes me think that it's better not to know the information. Okay. But then nowadays the Google and everything is readily available. Um, but certain things which used to be discussed at time, I was like, I don't want to know it. Because for 
like just just going for a, um, just going for your procedure I know I won't be worried about like you know what how they're going to be doing the procedure um, whether I'm going to be having bleeding after that how I'll be feeling I have to go to work tomorrow it was like I've done all that is it going to work because I know there's only 50% chances so how quickly do you get to know after that six weeks period cycle um I think that then um if you've had um after you have the embryo put back in it's 15 days right uh but at 14 days you can do one of those uh, urine dipstick tests that's available at the chemist okay and that's why I did when I got pregnant <laughs> so do you have many people who probably wants to go through IVF same treatment do they come to you and ask about these I, questions or is that something too personal for people to open up and in all fairness in like so far only um, people have spoken to me about the pregnancy mm. when I was pregnant and like you know oh are you getting this are you getting like this is how you treat this and this is how you treat that mm. um, not not thinking that it's just exclude completely excluding I'm a nurse I know what to do um, other than that, there's only been one person so far since I'm here that has discussed with me about IVF mm. and that's a member of staff I work with. But other than that, there's no one who's ever approached me. Um, when you have treatment, yes, you see families, you get mm. very friendly with them, but then by that time you also get, the, get an insight whether how, how it's going to go forward. And yeah. because you're going through a same same cycle, you don't want to share numbers because like, what if I get pregnant and she don't? Mm. You don't want so. It's different. Although you do get friendly, you want to be in touch. You want to know. You feel for them. I I remember the year when I didn't conceive and the the other lady got pregnant. I felt very sad. Uh, but then with the hormones, as we were talking, as soon as it passed by is I felt like oh I should ask her how she is now but then then by that time it's too late because someone had already formed an opinion about you mm. that uh, oh so and so hasn't wrong me so, so hasn't you been jealous about her success yeah right. yeah so uh, yeah. We'll blame it on hormones <laughs> hormones yeah very nasty stuff and there has been another actually I just remembered um, the, oh, there was a um, a, another nurse and um, bless her she, she's got two twins now and um, she, she'd been trying since we um, even before we came here um, and she had like several several IVFs and it didn't work really yeah sad. I think one of my very good friend he's gone through an, not he but you know they have as a couple they've gone through an IVF treatment and uh, yeah been successful after I think a couple of years of trying and yeah, he probably has spent five figures on it. So it's not like they're well-to-do family. Yeah, they can, you know, they're, they're not poor. But at the same time, they, they, it's a struggle to save that kind of money to, to achieve um, a dream of having a child. So yeah, I, I guess it's, it's, it's out there in the society. And uh, I mean, in UK, it's fine. As you mentioned, there is a lot of information available in NHS. There's a lot of support available. But back home in India, it's still depending on whether you are in a big city or within a smaller, you know, smaller tier two, tier three cities, as they call it. Um, 
it, it is still a struggle. Uh, it's still a taboo, as they say. So thanks for sharing up, you know, your, your story. It's not very often you would hear people opening up and being brave and, you know, talk about their own, own situation. So really appreciate you coming uh, today and talk to us about uh, IVF, especially, you know, your own personal journey on that. I think one, while just ending, I think there is one perception, or at least what I have come across, is that infertility or fertility issues is usually something something which is related to a lifestyle in the West, whereas people in rural surroundings seem to just get on and have families quite comfortably. Yeah. But what would you say about the so-called myth or what are your thoughts about that? The thoughts about that? Um, my sister is um she she got married and she went like we are from mumbai i came over here but she got married and she went to jamshedpur which is uh, just by calcutta um they never went for ivf because they couldn't afford it mm-hmm. and for them it was that oh um like my brother-in-law was was not the only child in the family so they were like happy because there is a child in the family mm-hmm. So it's it's uh, so that's a more econ- financial situation to yeah. do with the treatment, but in terms of the perception that the issue itself arises in in more well-to-do families, mm-hmm. um, I mean, what, I, I guess what would be something that you would want to say as a message to to people who are looking to get into the journey of IVF and what to expect, really. Well, if they can afford it, it's worth doing it mm-hmm. because what I did. And I don't regret because it was we 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 did put lots of our saving in the treatment, and when my child was to be born, came on in NHS. That's by luck. Yeah. But it's like we could afford it. We made a decision and we went for it. And two years later, like Prisha's born in twenty eleven, and I had cancer in twenty fifteen. So by the time, as you hear, like, you know, they might, you might not be able to do it. You might physically not be able to do it, so if you think, or if you leave it too late. Mm-hmm. So if you can afford it, if you know the problem, just make a decision and go for it. Go for it. Because nowadays, I think, uh, I don't know what made me think that uh, not having treatment in India and coming to UK and I'll get pregnant overnight. Uh, but nowadays, like Indian, um, in Mumbai, every time I visit, I see the IVF centers and they've got pretty good uh, success, success rates. rates. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's great. I think uh, it's clearly a positive journey for you and uh, leading up to a beautiful six-year-old. And mm-hmm. we wish you all the best. Thank you. I think you've really braved not only the treatment, but with your journey with, uh, with cancer. I think it's commendable how far you've come along, Pooja, and here's... More power to the NHS and more power to just being informed. Thanks very much again. Hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. You can catch all upcoming episodes on the website globalize-asian.co.uk or via your iOS or Android devices. Also, if you wish to join us as a speaker and share your story, please do drop us a message via the contact form on the website. That's it for now from Gagan and Vatsala. Thank you very much, guys, for listening to our podcast. A quick shout out to our supporter for the podcast, Royal Beans. Royal Beans is a premium artisan chocolate brand operating out of the city of Bangalore in India. 
Currently they are offering Belgian chocolate bonbons infused with interesting flavors like cappuccino, masala chai, dark chocolate ganache, sea salt caramel and many more. Just visit their website on royalbeans.in and order for yourself or get it delivered to your loved ones in major cities across India. As a listener of a podcast, you are entitled to get 10% discount on the order value when you use the code GLA10 at the checkout. So go ahead and check it out.